Good morning. I thought I had a little bit more time, so I popped the halls in my mouth real quick. Shouldn't have done that. I appreciate you, uh, your consideration of that. Pray for me today. I've been battling this cough that just doesn't seem to go on to go away. So uh, I'll try not to let that to be a disturbance for us today. Well, as you know, um, we have been or in a series of uh, sermon series about the stories that Jesus told, the parables. And we have learned already from Pastor Andy last week that stories or parables are really our story that can be used to illustrate something else. And uh, we already know that Jesus used parables in much of his teachings, if you've read any of the New Testament at all, in a way that makes it easier to understand and relate to what it is that he's talking about. And last week, Pastor Andy reminded us that a story has, has context before it and, and immediately after it. For a parable to make sense, you need to understand what was going on before the story that Jesus taught, and then what happened immediately after that. And then that story that Jesus talks in the context of those two begins to come alive and to make sense. And last week, Pastor Andy shared with us the parable of the sower. And we discussed how important it is for the seed to be planted in the right kind of soil. Thank you. We discovered how the seed, <coughs> excuse me, or the Word of God planted in the soil of our hearts can produce varying results depending on the quality of our soul. And then he tied all this together with a mission, Jesus, message, mission that Jesus has to each believer, and that is to go and make disciples. And if you were here or even watching online, we were given the opportunity to check uh, the quality of the soil of our hearts by taking the vital signs assessment. It wasn't a mandatory thing, mandatory thing, and it certainly was um, anonymous, and several people did. I believe it was a kind of a good response to Jesus' urgent command when at the end of Luke 8, 8, Jesus said this, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I think Jesus was simply saying, Hey, if you get a chance, I don't think, excuse me, I don't think Jesus was saying, if you get a chance, you might want to think about what I just said. I believe what he was saying really, in fact, is if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, you had better listen and pay attention to what I am saying to you. So as we begin today, uh, let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Would you pray it with me, please? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, I purposely stopped speaking because sometimes even in praise songs and prayer, (coughs) I love to hear the voices. You know, I love to hear the voices of people singing and praising. And in some way, I feel like that helps to fertilize the soil of my heart, maybe. I don't know if that makes sense or not. There's joy in being part of a worshiping group of people. Now, what we just prayed is the prayer found in Matthew 6, known as the Lord's Supper. Now, today we move on to another prayer Jesus taught, and it's tied to a parable (coughs) Jesus told when his disciples asked him to teach them to pray. Thank you, Danny. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm not going to waste that. Luke 11. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles with me, with you, you can follow along. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. I'm sorry, my King James part of it came out there. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you'd go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me And I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. 
And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, or which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an eggs, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask a question. Which is more important, do you think? The number of words spoken in a prayer? The choice words, you know, the religious sounding words meant to impress God? Or the attitude of the heart in the heart of the one praying? Three, right? Sure. I knew everybody would say that. But I, help it, I believe it helps to drive home this point. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished his disciples, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. <clears throat> and lead us not into temptation. Now, I've read and, and studied the prayer Jesus spoke in response to his disciples' request. Thanks, Dan. It's different from the one that we recited just a few minutes ago. And that I, in this, I found that, that we were right. It isn't the number of words, and it isn't the right religious-sounding words. It's the attitude in our hearts in this prayer. Now, for me, at least, as I looked at it, I found five points of attitude <laughs> that Jesus pointed out to his disciples that I think are extremely important. You see, the holiness of God is to be worshipped and praised within me and expressed in my whole being. It's important that I have a deep desire for his kingdom to come here on earth now within me that as best I can, I live a kingdom life today and tomorrow according to the Father's will. It's important that daily I'm asking 
that the bread of life sustain me in all that I do. That's what Jesus taught in chapter 6 of John, that he is the bread of life. I found that it's extremely important to forgive others as I have been forgiven. And admittedly, it isn't easy, is it? But it's a necessary part of kingdom living today. I realize I can't live a double standard and enjoy the fullness of kingdom living now. And now today, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to follow you, your lead in all that I think and do. These are five takeaways that I came away from studying this and applying them to what I believe is the attitude that Jesus taught us. It's the attitude of prayer that sets the context for all that Jesus taught regarding prayer. You see, words in themselves don't mean much, do they? It's really the attitude and action associated with words that give them meaning and value. I could say I love my wife, but then if I, if I neglect to serve her, if I neglect to show her value and loving kindness, well, the words I love you really don't mean much, do they? Jesus set the terms of attitude for prayer, and then he went on to tell this story about how we, they, us should approach, it, approach prayer. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, it's underlined in bold and that's the way it is in my Bible. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. You see, in the culture at the time, it would have been a terrible thing not to be hospitable to someone who comes to visit and then fail to offer them food. Especially someone who had been on a long journey and at the end of the day was probably very tired and hungry. And in this story, for whatever the reason, this guy had no food to offer his friend. So uh, put yourself in this story. And you think, I'm going to go see my friend Andy. Surely he will be able to help me. So you go over to Andy's house at midnight and knock on his door. Andy, I need your help. A friend of mine has stopped by and I don't have any food to offer him. Can you help me? No answer. So you knock again. 
still no answer. And again, you knock and you call out, Andy, I'm in a real bind. I, I need your help. And somewhere from inside, Andy says, are you kidding me? It's midnight. Everybody's in bed. I've finally got my three children asleep. And you come pounding on my door asking for food. Go away. Come back tomorrow. But you still keep knocking. And finally, he gets up and gives you all that you need. Not because you're his friend, but because of your shameless audacity. Oh, I love that phrase. Maybe my newest phrase, favorite phrase. Now, it's a bit of fun putting Pastor in the story, isn't it? <laughs> he said, no. But that doesn't change the truth that Jesus was teaching. It was because of this person's persistent, shameless audacity that the man got what he needed. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. And as soon as Jesus finished the parable, he says this to us. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. For which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, that one's underlined too in my Bible, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Not bread, not a fish, not an egg, but the Holy Spirit. And so with the attitude that Jesus taught, we approach our Heavenly Father. We do ourselves. We ask, and we seek, and we knock persistently with shameless audacity to get what we need. And Jesus promised He will give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, knock are action verbs. Imperative in their context to Jesus' teaching here. Not casual, one-off petitions, but persistent, shameless, bold, audacious pleadings in accordance with the way Jesus taught us in His prayer and in that attitude, you see. Because it's through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that we continue to ask, seek, and knock. That we're trusting in the goodness of the Father to answer our prayers in His timing. 
It was the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus relied on those 40 days that he was in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil in every conceivable way. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus up from the dead. And he, the Holy Spirit, is the transforming power for our changed, joy-filled lives today if we approach him with shameless audacity. Spiritual warfare is a messy thing. And it can be ugly at times. Someone wrote, the temptations of the flesh are minor to the temptations of the spirit. And I understand that. It comes upon every believer, not just once, but it can come upon us at various times and in many ways. And we should be alert so that we're not, are not caught off on guard. Isn't that what Peter said in his letter? Let me ask you, has anyone ever here ever had some kind of a troublesome issue in your spiritual life? Maybe you think about it as Paul called it this thorn in his side, I don't know. Something so persistent you just couldn't shake it. Could be a nagging sin. It could be a worry or an anxiety you just can't let go of. Or maybe something from the past you felt has been left undone and it's haunted you for years. And to top it all off, you've been praying about it for a long time. Maybe even years, but so far, no relief. Know what I mean? I have. Something happened to me on Thursday, February the 8th. It was between 12 and 1 o'clock during our Thursday prayer time here at the church. Sitting right over there at that table by myself. Alone with God. Tuning out everything I could. in my heart praising and at the same time crying out to him now I wasn't in a trance or anything like that but a vision came into my head a vision of separation 
a, a lifting of my spiritual self from my fleshly self. From, from my body. Now this may sound silly to you, but right here in my, this vision I had, it sounds silly, I know, but I got this vision of a non-stick skillet. And you know that Teflon coating that covers the rest of it? Was separated and lifted. As it, as it lifted, my soul lifted away from body, the flesh, of all of the things that I had agonized over for years. Separated. And in that moment, I felt a freedom I had never experienced before. For years, for years there had been guilt and regrets in my life that I have been forced to relive over and over and over. Past temptations that I have given over to and into over and over. Flashbacks of things that make me shudder have now been, take, have been taken away. And it's a release that I had been praying for for years. Satan no longer had a hold on me. I was free from his attack. And I felt a peace in my soul as these things had never, as if they had never been a part of me. Now, now the memory of these things hasn't been erased, but the torment is gone, healed as if it never happened. You see, in the past, I had read and believed what Paul wrote in Romans 8.1 when he said, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And you see, finally, it was now through the law of the Spirit that I experienced the separation that rose up from the law of sin and death in my life. Years of carrying this around. Freedom. Waymaker. Chainbreaker. That was just over two weeks ago. Since then, I've had time to give thought to what happened to me. I hesitated a bit before I shared it with Judy and pastors Andy and Jason. C could this be real? 
has, has this really happened? Is this real? It, it was, and it is. Here's something else I also know is real. Things aren't always the same as they seem, are they? Beneath the joyful Sunday morning faces we see on each and every's face every week, for some there can be troubling waters beneath the surface, can't there? I also know that you can't outserve them. You can't out-Bible study them. You can't out-tithe them. And you can't out-raise your hands in, in praise alone and expect that they go away. Only God can take them away. And I've also learned this important thing from experience. It's in his timing. Just about every Sunday we hear or, or repeat, and we've already heard it today, the mission of Westland Free Methodist Church. Say it with me. Uniting with Jesus to restore to joy-filled wholeness. How many times have I quoted this mission statement? Thinking quite often it was for the benefit of unknown others. While at the same time, I was in the need of the same. See, I am one of those unknown others. <laughs> and don't be mistaken, it's not just about salvation and going to heaven. It's about joy-filled wholeness not living in 85%ness while we're waiting to go to heaven. I've discovered wholeness is a life of shameless, audacious prayer, asking God to help with our spiritual needs, my spiritual need in life now, and then persistently trusting Him and His timing for Him to deliver. It's about freedom from persistent sin Freedom from guilt. Freedom from the various attacks the enemy sends after us. It's kingdom living now and not having to wait until you're dead to find freedom from the torment. So if Jesus took the time to teach us how to pray and urged us to do so with boldness, then our calling is to make time for it ourselves. So I ask, are there events maybe of shame in your life that are still haunting you? Are there issues of hurt or forgiveness that are keeping you from the freedom that you seek? Is there some persistent sin that you just can't seem to get over? 
Maybe there's a temptation that keeps coming back. And I know that some of us are constantly haunted by the fear, fear of failure or rejection. Things that steal our joy-filled wholeness beneath that calm and smiling water that looks peace, but inside it's stirring up. Sometimes it takes years. If you've been tempted to stop and give up, don't. I, I promise you, some things that I've been freed of, it took decades. Not a salvation issue, but a joy-filled wholeness issue. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Jesus. You said that you have come to give, come to give life. Complete life. To the fullest. And yet often we're forced to, to live with things that are troublesome and ugly and worrisome and create anxieties within us. Sometimes even shameful things. <laughs> but you taught us to ask, seek, and knock persistently, boldless with shameless audacity. And you would give us the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us. Jesus, I, I pray today. You know our hearts. <laughs> you see our smiling faces every Sunday morning. But you also know those troubled waters beneath the surface. And I pray today. For some, this would be a day of, day of healing. Release. <laughs> Enjoy. Jesus, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit. Work within us today. Come Holy Spirit and free us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.